Madison in the backfield getting his first NFL start. But they're going to the air. Off the plate. Fake and it's intercepted right off the bat. Matt Ryan with a clean pocket is going for the end zone and it's caught. Welcome back from the injury, Julio Jones. Quick snap. And it doesn't work out. Atlanta's defense. Second down off the plate. Fake getting it away. Calvin Ridley. Looks like a completely different defense. That ball hit and intercepted. And Cousins connecting over the middle. Ryan, is he going to run? No, he's going to try to dump it over the top, but he's got Julio Jones. And Julio Jones. I got three words for you. You like that? And welcome to the North Pole, everybody. Gabe Flayton here. Sorry for the eight-minute delay. I'm running a little late tonight because I cut my lip while shaving and have spent the last half an hour trying to <laughs> stop the bleeding, kind of like the Minnesota secondary. So let's start with the Vikings as I have blood coming off my lip, which is pretty disgusting, not going to lie. Um, I'm going to bring on JB from the Skull of Hard Knocks podcast. I got him last second. Very uh, grateful for him showing up to the podcast tonight. Um, A. Marie Castillo, who has her own podcast, as I try to get blood off my lip, uh, got him to come on after she had to back out very late. Uh, but I'm really excited to have him on, and here he is right now. Hey, JB, how's it going? And uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's going great for me. Uh, as for the men in purple and gold, not so much. Yeah, no, it's not. And I feel like this uh, bleeding lip is like the most apropos kind of thing right now. It's almost like it's scripted, but it wasn't scripted. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not that desperate. Uh, but um, it, JB, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it on really what was the last notice. Um, and your podcast is going to be at eight tonight. Skull of Hard Knocks, everybody. It's on Spotify and it's really, really good. Um, so give that a listen as well. Uh, let's start off with the the game against the Falcons. This game was was really really like it reminded me of that game we played against the Eagles in the NFC North uh, NFC Championship a couple years ago because we had such a flat game all around and it came off of a game where we were so invested. We were so invested in that Seahawks game and we just we just came out flat in this one. What happened, JB? I think, I, well, let's. I'll start right off, but I don't like Gary Kubiak as an offensive coordinator. Uh, I think they were worried that Dalvin was out and they were going to have to throw. And they, you know, looking at the Falcons this season, their passing defense has not been great. Um, and I don't know what's wrong with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins looks like his, you know, his confidence disappears for periods of time every game. And unfortunately for the Vikings, it happened on the first play of the game. 
It was a, a play action is Kirk's strength, and it wasn't. It just wasn't on Sunday. And I don't know if he's concerned about not having his star running back behind him, which shouldn't be a problem because Madison we know can run. He played well against Seattle. I don't know if he still doesn't feel comfortable behind that offensive line. Uh, they've been shuffling guys in and out, trying to come up with a, a good starting five, and they just can't seem to put it all together. I don't know what the problem is. Um, and then they finally get a little momentum, 10 nothing. They have the ball. Take the three points. Get points off the turnover and, and try and build on that. And we get a, a quick handoff to Mike Boone, who's your third string running back. And it, it was it went nowhere. I mean, the Falcons didn't give up anything on the ground all day. What made them think that a fourth down quick snap was going to catch them off guard? It just snowballed. They, they, they never were in this game. And then when you thought maybe they could get back in it, they go down and score a touchdown. Second half, their first points, and they cut the lead to 16. The defense, which has been terrible this year, Let's the Falcons go right down the field and make it 30 to seven and any momentum they've been able to build up on offense. It seems the defense gives it right back. Yeah. It, it, that goal line stand that the, the Falcons had was, was funny because last year the Vikings had an excellent goal line stand against the Falcons on the right. other side of the field. So it's, it just shows you we are on the other side of things this year. Um, and as I just want everybody to know my lip is bleeding and it's pretty gross. So uh, just don't don't be grossed out. But I wanted to talk about um, Justin Jefferson. If we're if we're going to talk about the bright spots, um, he was one of them. So I want to get to Justin Jefferson. What were your thoughts on him in this game? His stats. People talk about his stats and everything, but they can lie a little bit because a lot of this is coming in garbage time. But what kind of impact does Justin Jefferson have on this offense? And why, with these weapons on offense, is this not working out? And you've mentioned Kubiak. I totally agree. What do we have to do differently and to get these receivers going? Adam Thielen and Jefferson, it's always like Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know which one's going to show up. If one of them shows up, but wouldn't it be nice if both of them did? It would. And I don't know if it's them not showing up or, again, if if the play, you know, the offensive game plan or if it's Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, you, you watch Kirk and I, I'm watching, you know, what a great throw on the run to Jefferson. He seems to be finding a little bit of rhythm with the kid, which is great. Uh, he's building up, uh, a little trust in him as well. You should, this kid's got great hands. He, he actually has better hands than Stefan Diggs, in my opinion. So I think it's just a matter of work, you know, not having a preseason didn't help this team. Uh, he had so many new pieces. I just think they need to run plays where Kirk's get gets rid of the ball a little quicker. Uh, they want him to go downfield. Well, if he's not getting the time, it's not going to work. Uh, you know, again, I'm watching this. I'm watching these se- this sequence here. Everything's about a 15 to 20 for you know. And then he'll draw the the secondary up, and then Jefferson's getting behind them. So. I don't know what the answer is with the offense because they're putting up numbers. Sorry about that. (laughs) 
they're putting up numbers, but again, like you said, there a lot of it is garbage time numbers against the Packers. There was a lot of garbage time numbers. You know, they scored 34 points, but they were well behind in playing catch up for most of the game. Uh, in this last game, garbage, not garbage time numbers. You're down, you know, 30 to seven. That's all garbage time numbers. The, the defense is a little looser. They've got to come up with plays earlier in the game. I don't mind Kirk Cousins checking down for five and six yards if it's going to keep the, the ball moving, keep the, the sticks moving. Everybody wants, oh, Kirk can't throw it on field. Yeah, he can throw it on field. We just saw it here. But if they aren't respecting that he can throw it on field, if they're getting up in the face of the receivers, if we're trying to go deep on play action when we haven't established the run, it's just not going to work. There's just yeah. – I don't get Kubiak's game plan. Yeah. They seem to – I mean, they do – seem to do better when Dalvin's in the backfield, but Dalvin is never in the backfield. Dalvin is hurt every year. Yeah. And I, I want to stick with, you know, the offensive play calling and just the offense right now. Irv Smith is another guy. He's, he's been, he's been nice. He's improved. And you mentioned how all of our plays seemingly are just big plays. It's like on offense, uh, when we have success, we're, we're making big plays. We actually are one of the highest yards per pass attempt offense in the NFL. We're getting a big plays, but they're coming so infrequently, not enough. And the little stuff isn't coming to complement the big stuff. Um, not to mention when your offense relies on big plays, something that needs to cont- or needs to happen is good protection. So for every time we get a big play down the field, we have a sack in a situation where we were looking down the field to make a big play. And that's and it's coming from right up the middle. Ezra Cleveland in this game allowed four pressures and a sack. He's he's not any better than Drew Samia was. And that was really concerning. And Tom, I, I think Ezra Cleveland was a rookie. Uh, he looked like a rookie out there. And um, he wasn't meant to play right guard this year. He was meant to play left tackle in a couple years, not even this year. Um, and it, it was just really, really upsetting to see, um, you know, him not, not do any better than Drew Samia. Uh, it's hard to fault. I think it's hard to fault Kirk Cousins 100%. I think their offensive line has really, uh, really hurt him. But when he, when he tries to come from behind, he is what, maybe one of the worst come from behind quarterbacks in the NFL. He, he gets really flustered once the game gets into a comeback situation, uh, throwing down the field in spread offense is not his thing. He really is a pro style play action kind of quarterback. And Gary Kubiak is possibly the worst play caller when it comes to coming from behind. I watch a lot of army football. I, I live right next to West point and I love army football, but when we go down in games, we look like army football trying to come back. Passing is not our MO. We are so involved in the run game that, it passing just doesn't cut it here uh, with us. Um, anything else you want to add on the offense that struck your eye? Just, just again, just uh, no, no real adjusting done by Kubiak to what was happening in the game. He kept trying to pound it up. He, he's done it before. Pound, pound the middle and hope it works. Well, it wasn't working. So now you have to come up with a different way. You've got to screen the ball out to Madison and let him get out in the open and see what he can do there. Uh, You've got to use your tight ends more. Now the tight ends in this game combined for over a hundred yards and receptions. 
So that was nice to see. There were some really nice throws that Kirk made along the way, but then he would he made three bad ones in the first half. Let's put it three bad ones. One was a, a tip ball, but they all led to points. That led to 17 points allowed. So I don't want to say they can't pass. I don't think that's right. I think they can throw. I think he's got weapons to throw. I just think that they need balance. And as far as Kirk not being able to come from behind, well, against Seattle, he led a 77-yard and a 97-yard drive when they were behind and put them ahead. Very good point. I guess what I was more alluding to is how methodical it is when they do make quick drives. Like They had those long play drives to come back, and they milked a lot of the clock. When it's they when they're down three touchdowns, it's a tall task for any team to come back from three touchdowns. Right. I just think our offense and Minnesota's offense is one of the least well equipped offenses for a for a long or big comeback uh, in a game. And uh, I just want to. I actually had a couple more notes on offense. I wanted to go over was I think another reason why we struggle on offense to get you know breakaway plays sometimes and and make magic happen on offense is Adam Thielen is a guy who has such a small yards after catch rate. He's second lowest in the NFL with 1.9 yards after catch. Uh, I think he doesn't do any favors for Kirk Cousins, in my opinion. I think Kirk Cousins does everything for Adam Thielen. He has to put the ball on him every time because Adam Thielen, I I, I read a lot of next-gen stats. Adam Thielen, I love his route running, but he gets such little separation, J.B., if you watch his these games, Adam Thielen is right on top of his defender when that ball's thrown to him. And Kirk Cousins, give him a lot of credit. He puts it on him most often. I think Cousins is – you saw that throw to Jefferson before. Uh, and that was a really impressive throw to Justin Jefferson to, uh, up the seam or down the sideline over the shoulder. We've seen Kirk Cousins time and time again make that kind of throw. And uh, it's it's refreshing to see that throw. Yeah, feel I think Thielen's I mean Thielen's a slot guy. To me, he's a slot receiver playing playing at the one or the two. And yeah, that's a really good point. Because everybody says they they mistake him for a slot guy. He never plays slot, but no. I never thought about him playing in the slot. How much better he would be off. And maybe in the future you see Justin Jefferson switch with Thielen. I think I think that's going to happen i think they're going to pass i mean adam's 30 years old now they're going to have to pass the torch eventually uh i actually would like to see adam play slot but now who's your two you know do you give bc johnson a chance because i don't think bc's really been given a shot but can he play that too i don't know they might need another receiver at this point they seem to have a lot of slot guys playing right out for this team other than Jefferson, who ironically was a slot guy in college. Yeah, they have not had anybody uh, come out of out, outside of that that two duos, uh, Theon and Jefferson. Right now, the Vikings are the set. They have the second highest target air yardage percentage between two people in the entire NFL at seventy one percent. Adam Theon and Justin Jefferson make up seventy one percent of their target air yards. Just one team has a is a higher percentage with a duo, and that's the Baltimore Ravens with Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews, which is actually a very interesting duo. Uh, and the Ravens, we know, they're also a big running team. 
So I think that is interesting that we see that uh, that combination. Let's go to defense now, JB. Um, I really wanted to talk about the defense because this is unreal when you look at how this defense played versus how we looked in 2019 um, against the Falcons week one where we absolutely demolished them. We had four sacks, uh, two interceptions, and a couple forced fumbles and a blocked punt. Um, just an unreal game that was last year. So what happened with our defense this game and who is to blame? Well, what's happened with our defense this year? The bounty hunter hasn't seen the field and he probably won't. Uh, we went out and we acquired Michael Pierce and COVID hit and Michael Pierce had to opt out for the season. Now your defensive line is a lot different looking than you thought it was going to be coming into the year. Uh, I like Odenabo a lot, but he's not Daniel Hunter. You know, they, they, Ngakwe was a great acquisition. And when he was acquired, we thought, well, he's going to have Hunter on the other side. That's going to be a great tandem, but he doesn't have Hunter on the other side. And I wonder if that's hurting him in terms of his production. He's getting a little bit better, but I wonder if not having that, that star on the line is hurting him. Anthony Barr, overpaid as he is as a linebacker, was your starting linebacker. Now, Eric Wilson's done a pretty nice job. But, again, Anthony Barr, again, I know people don't like him. They think he's overpaid. They're absolutely correct. He's making far too much money for the way he produces. But he's still, I think, better than Eric Wilson. And he's not out there. Xavier Rhodes is not here anymore. Now, Xavier Rhodes, I don't think he wanted to be here anymore. I don't think this, I don't think, again, the defensive side of the ball, I don't think the scheme was working for him anymore. He was he was awful for two seasons. He was awful in Minnesota. And I don't know if it's a combination of he was getting older, he was beat up, or he didn't like the scheme. But he went to to the Colts and all of a sudden he's good again. <laughs> yeah. And Trey Wayans was never good. Trey Wayans was so now he's Trey Waynes, by the way, don't mean to interrupt you. He got the biggest contract of all three of the corners that left. Trey Waynes made 42 mil three-year contract with Cincinnati, where Xavier Rhodes got like a one-year show me what you got deal. (laughs) I don't know what people see in Waynes. Uh I I feel bad that he got hurt. Uh because you know, I don't know. Now we don't really know if if it was again playing in Minnesota that was hurting him. But now you're now you're down two cornerbacks who know that know the system, know the schemes, and you got two rookies out there. And one, I, I wasn't crazy about Gladney in the first round. I actually like Dantzler better, but neither of them has really shown me anything uh, in terms of pass coverage. And they've got to learn. And what with them not being able to do their jobs, now you put a lot more pressure on guys like Harry. And Harry's production is down because he can't be everywhere on the field. He's trying to cover for the corners who aren't doing their jobs. Yep. That's funny. I said this on my show last week. Him and Harris's job right now is to just clean up everybody else's crap. They're on damage control. Yeah. And Harris has been, his numbers are, they're nowhere. They're nowhere to be found this year. And, you know, we pick on Ann Harris. I've been picking on Ann Harris, but when you look at it, these guys are playing two positions at once out there. Every, every pass. Yep. Yep. Every play of the game. Harrison Smith was on track to have played every snap 
besides the fact that he missed uh, the rest of the game and against Houston because of his ejection. But Anthony Harris has been on the field for every snap. We get, I, I've been giving him a lot of uh, criticism too because statistically he's down. PFF says he's down. But he's w- the only guy out there who has, besides Harrison Smith, who can direct traffic besides Eric Hendricks. But in the secondary, it's all falling on Anthony Harris. Um, and I love that what you said, how it's like playing two positions. It really is. Um, Jeff Gladney, I will give him a little bit of credit. He's actually like the second highest rated run stopper of all corners, which is awesome. You know, physical corner, he could stop, uh, runs, but that doesn't make up for all the, the bad coverage. And it's not even like he's giving it up five yards, five yards. It's like 40 yards here, 30 yards there. And he's just not even close. He's not getting his head around to the ball. He's a few yards off the guy. His ball skills are really poor. And Xavier Rhodes had really bad ball skills. And we haven't improved in the ball skill department at all. Cam Dantzler, you saw his ball skills. They were on full display on that fourth and 10 against Seattle, where he didn't know where the ball was if it hit him on the head. He he looked like Ricky Bobby trying to put out the invisible fire out there on that play. (laughs) Yeah, it was – I was really like – shocked that an NFL cornerback could really like, I don't know if it was nerves or if, you know, Russell Wilson is that good and where he put that ball was that beautiful. But, but I got to say, there's a lot of guys that is it Zimmer uh, or is it time? Do they need time to buy into Zimmer system or are they not the right guys? Uh, We saw Xavier Rhodes really blossom eventually into the Zimmer system. Trey Waynes eventually grew into the system. It took him a little longer than we would have liked and it took Rhodes uh, – it actually didn't take Rhodes very long, but it, it, he ended up getting washed up by the, by the end of his career. Do you think Gladney and Dantzler – and then let's go with Harrison Hand too. Why not? He gets the field – he gets to see the field sometimes too. Do you think yeah. these guys will get better and will they get to a point where we saw Rhodes and Trey Waynes uh, for the past five years? As I want to plug in uh, – a clip of the week one game just to show everybody what we were work, working with last year, uh, week one against the Falcons. But yeah, go ahead, JB, on uh, your thoughts on our secondary. Well, I mean, do I think these kids have to? I don't know. And and the reason I say that is they are playing, they've played six games of NFL football. They had no preseason games to, to work on their skills. Uh, do I think they have raw talent that I've seen. Yeah. They've, they've shown me in, in spots that they can play, but overall right now, if you were going to ask me right now, if I think that you're going to be, you know, cornerstones on this defense, I don't think so, but that's right now. That's as of today. I don't know if Mike Zimmer's scheme is going to work for these guys. I don't know if Mike Zimmer is the right man to run this team anymore. I don't know if he still has these guys behind him. And that's hard to say for me because I really like Mike Zimmer. I think Mike Zimmer did a nice job for a long time here. But Mike Zimmer seems to have – the game seems to almost have passed him by. I don't think he's adjusting to the game the the way it is being played today. Uh, And that's all around. He's got an ancient offensive coordinator in terms of how he runs the team. Yeah, it's not the 1990s anymore. Gary Kubiak, that's that stuff's not going to work here. Uh, Mike Zimmer, 
I don't know if his defense is going to work anymore. I don't know if these guys can evaluate talent on the defensive side of the ball the way they used to. They, yes. That's another thing I, I'm not sure about with these guys. Are they really evaluating talent the right way? Do they Are they seeing it? Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to be possibly the defensive rookie of the year. How do you not see this? I mean, we all saw it. We all thought he was a great pickup or he could have been a great pick and the Vikings had opportunities and let him go. So I, I'm not sure. I, I wish I had a better answer than I'm not sure with these kids because they're still kids. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with the, with the Antoine Winfield point. Uh, that would have been an awesome move. You could have got Anthony Harris out of there and not have to worry about paying him. Um, and that would have freed up a lot of, of money because now we're, we're looking at a situation where one of our big guys got to go salary cap wise, one of our big paid players is going to have to go. And we can't afford to lose another guy on this team. That's a veteran. Um, And it's Zimmer. It's interesting because they bought into the Zimmer system because immediately they were winning games. I mean, they started out in 2014. That felt like that was the beginning, beginning of the Zimmer era. And it felt like 2014 was the beginning of, the era of the new Minnesota Vikings team that eventually went to the NFC championship in 2018. And that era was, was a lot of winning. I mean, Mike Zimmer had not had a losing season since his first year in 2014. It's easy to buy into a system when you're winning games. And after, you know, this, and once the season got going and players are, you know, or the team is losing their confidence in coach Zimmer could be going down. Not to mention when Mike Zimmer was in uh, was coaching the team in 2014, he was 58. So and now he's 60. Uh, he's 64. So he's up there in age. He's the fourth oldest head coach in the NFL, and there hasn't been a coach who has coached past 72. That was the Bears' all-time uh, legendary head coach, George Hallis. So it would be interesting to see how long until we give we get rid of Mike Zimmer because. I, I get what you're saying. It's hard to envision a long-term future. Could we do another six years with Mike Zimmer? I don't see that at all. And it, they're going to have to win ASAP if he wants to even have a job because they did extend him, but they will be more than, you know, I'm sure the organization would be more than happy to get rid of him. Oh, absolutely. They, they, it, they'll pay him They'll pay him to walk away. They, yeah. they re, there's, a, there's a guy in Kansas City – who's still out there who we thought was going to have a head coaching job this year and doesn't, you know, if the Vikings can, as soon as they can, they may be offering Eric B enemy a head coaching job. They may want to go younger and see what they can get out of it. I, I would have, it would not shock me in the least if this was the last year Mike Zimmer was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I, I, I really – I was pondering that, and it sounded so crazy to think that he could get fired because how can I, – I hate blaming guys who, you know, you trust. And I really trust Mike Zimmer. I still trust him. But I, I think sometimes it's like you got to do what doesn't necessarily sound smart. You just have to do something. You have to make a big change And um, with young guys and a 64-year-old head coach. Uh, look at the Giants right now. They're – playing awesome football on the defensive end with essentially the same talent or if not lesser talent than what Minnesota's working with, but it's just their preparation. And after seeing that loss to the Falcons, I can guarantee you that week of practice 
had to be an awful, awful week of practice because no team plays like that uh, on, on Sunday. No, no. And uh, we're seeing a lot. We're seeing the league skewing younger in terms of their head coaches. You know, you've got uh, Sean McVay, who looks like he's got a paper route after, you know, on weekends <laughs> out there. Cliff Kingsbury is in there now. Uh, Zach Taylor's out there. Yep. Coaching in Cincinnati. So I, the league is skewing younger. They're, they're, the game is getting more and more like uh, Madden on rookie mode than, <laughs> than it, it has been. And uh, uh, Andy Reid, thank, thankfully, lets some of his younger guys do the, you know, focus on the offensive, defensive side of the ball. Andy Reid's one of those exceptions to how the older coaches are still being successful. But it, it looks really like, the we're going to see coaches getting younger and younger out there, and this game is going to evolve into uh, a track meet, so to speak. It's going to look like flag football a lot more. Yeah, and I uh, I will look I look forward to the day when Minnesota can look like that 2009 team again. We were talking before the show how that was our favorite, probably our favorite Minnesota team in the last like 20 years. Uh, if could just because of how fun they were to watch. I think Minnesota, that that team was awesome because they had a gunslinger of a quarterback. That team looked like what would now be a, a, a good offense in the NFL. And we were doing it with, with not the same names at receiver that we have now. Imagine if we had Brett Favre in that system, that offensive line, throwing to Thielen and Jefferson. That would be a beautiful thing to watch. But he got Sidney Rice a big contract. And Sidney yes, Rice, that was, that was his career was the year Favre was throwing to him. And the offensive coordinator, too, Daryl Bevel. He got him a contract with Seattle. And now, ironically, he's coaching in Detroit as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was – see, you don't remember the 98 team. That 98 team (laughs) – that 98 team is 2020 football. Right. They were just – they were – they just put up points like nobody's business. That was Randy Moss. That was Robert Smith in the backfield. That was Randall Cunningham just slinging it. Yeah. Uh, Missing Rings, the NFL Films documentary. Got to yeah. check it out. Um, but, yeah, JP, this was this was a lot of fun. Uh, do you have anything else you'd want to add before you uh, before we move on to the Packers game? Before, uh, I'm going to bring on another guest. Oh, no, I, I'm i happy. I was uh, glad to come on, glad yeah. I could be here tonight. Um, we're hopeful that this is a, kind of a bump in the road season. I don't expect uh, big changes after the after the bye. Uh, I I would like I could see this being a five and eleven team maybe. I actually am looking more like a less Steckle three and thirteen kind of team this year. Uh, but keep watching. There's some young guys out there that are worth worth keeping an eye on. Uh, there's some talented kids, and we want to see them develop. So let's. Let's just take this season for what it is and hope that it leads to better things for 2021. 100%. We, we have to throw in – we have to accept defeat for once as Vikings fans. were. So we've been spoiled in a way to be given such winning teams. And now that <laughs> Kevin O'Brien, he's, he's coming on next as a guest. He's a big <laughs> Packers fan. Uh, I look forward to having him on to talk about the Bucks game where I can also, uh, you know, I can trash the Packers. That'll be exciting. But, uh, <laughs> But, JB, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, Skull uh, of the House of Hard Knocks, right? The Skull of Hard Knocks.
Skull, yeah, Skull of the Hard Knocks. It's it's uh, on Spotify with JB, and uh, everybody check it out. And JB, I would love to have you on in the future and talk more Vikings football. Absolutely, anytime. Awesome. And now I will be bringing on Kevin O'Brien in just a second after I show you guys uh, some highlights of that Packers-Buccaneers game. And I got the prediction way off on this one. I thought the Packers were going to win, and uh, they did not. So enjoy this little video. Steady hands and no signal. Looks like he got in. He's kind of taking Tanyan in since the first time he saw him and just loves the way he plays the game. Pass is picked. Intercepted back the other way. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Kevin O'Brien on the show. Uh, what's up, Kevin? How are you doing tonight? I'm well, Gabe. How are you? 38 to 10? Is that right? Sounds about right, yeah. Just making sure. Um, Aaron Rodgers, 16 <laughs> for 40? Maybe. I'm not sure. 17.8 QBR. Oh my God. Guess what? The last time the Packers lost to the Buccaneers, the the Buccaneers quarterback was named Josh Freeman. And Josh Freeman's head coach was Raheem Morris, the interim coach for the Falcons. That was a, that was a really good Buccaneers team. Let me tell you. Um, no, that Buccaneers yeah, team was, I was impressed. No, that Buccaneers team in 2009 was 1-7 at the time of beating the Packers, who were 4-4 uh, four and four at the time. That was before Rodgers bloomed into a, you know what he is now. But what happened in this game? Let me, let me hear you on this. The game started off strong. The Packers looked good. They went up 10-0. Then all of a sudden, it was as if you took a, a big balloon. Imagine, just picture a big balloon. You untie the knot. Hold it, let it go, deflated. That's how basically the game went as soon as Aaron Rodgers threw that pick six. And then the rest is history. What I uh, I want to point out, what I found really, really scary about this Tampa Bay team was Levante David and Devin White. They're two inside linebackers. I thought they played the best game I've ever seen the Buck, Buccaneers defense play, but those two linebackers were flying all over the field, causing havoc and making Aaron Rodgers hurry in the pocket and look uncomfortable. And that was basically the doomsday for the Green Bay Packers this week. And they just got out 
uh, out physical, like out, out manned. If you want to, you know, be honest, I think they just showed more masculinity than them. And Dominican Sue just was tearing it up in the, in the, in the inside Carlton Davis four pass deflections, the corner Carlton Davis also has like a 90 something PFF run stopping grade at the cornerback position. This team is really, really good at tackling. They don't miss tackles. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr., like his father, Antoine Winfield never missed a tackle. You saw Antoine Winfield Jr. make that tackle on A.J. Dillon where he completely flipped him over. That was an impressive hit. I mean, this defense hits, and they they are like an old-school smash-mouth defense where they stop the run, and they play physical. They play a physical brand of football, and I think that might be the recipe to beating this Green Bay offense right now is is physicality. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, they just blitzed and blitzed Aaron Rodgers as soon as they went down, basically, and it was game over. I mean, at that point, the Packers really didn't go back to the run game at all. It was just pass, 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 and the Buccaneers, all they did was blitz, 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 and the <laughs> score shows. <laughs> Serena with the comment Cobb she thank you for listening to the show Serena and um, that is uh, a good point Kevin I wanted to go to the Packers offense <laughs> Serena with a is a real football fan I'm sure uh, she I think she I don't Serena comment what uh, team you're a fan of I, I'm not sure what what sports team or what NFL team you're a fan of I'll have to have a segment on that team with you Um but moving on to the Packers' drive chart in this game, it was one of the worst drive charts I've ever seen. They had seven three-and-outs in this game, um, and their second-half drive chart looked like this. They had five drives. Their eighth, their eighth drive, three plays, five yards. Ninth drive, um, this is in the second half, their eighth drive of the game. Uh, so ninth drive, nine plays, 23 yards, punt. Tenth drive, three plays, four yards, punt. Six plays, 22 yards, punt. And then three plays, negative seven yards, punt. They punted every single drive in the second half. Were they trying to win the game or was it just that out of hand that going forward on fourth down wouldn't even have mattered? I think they just didn't see enough of J.K. Scott during the, the season. They wanted to see how he looked all. <laughs> I mean, he, he's basically riding the bench for, what, four games now? Time to see what J.K. Scott could do. And he, he didn't even pretty have a, good. Yeah. I liked, I liked he what have, he did. He had such little punts, he didn't even have a PFF grade. He didn't have enough sample size for the PFF to make a grade on him. <laughs> they wanted yeah, to make well, sure he had a ranking. Um, no, yeah, it's, throw him in sometime. <laughs> oh, man. He was, they were mad at – he was probably, like, mad at his Madden ranking, and he was like, I, I need to show Madden that I'm a better punter than this, so they'll up my grade. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers didn't look great in this game after the first quarter. Um, let's be real here. He he had 0 for 4 passes over 20 yards down the line uh, down the field past the line of scrimmage, and uh, he was 1 for 5 passes between 10 and 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. Anything remotely past the line of scrimmage in this game was well defended. And you attributed that to the blitz, the blitz on Aaron Rodgers, the pressure getting to him quickly. Um, but also 
the predictability of this offense is starting to get a little clear to me. Uh, Devontae Adams, eight, nine yards and out every time. And Aaron Rodgers was one for five in passes to the uh, – I said one for five for five yards and one interception. That was just passes to the left, one between one and ten yards down the field. That's Devontae Adams' patented route, that like seven, eight yards and out on the left side. That was nothing this game. I think the Bucs prepared for that play. And Marcus Valdez-Scantling is one of the worst route-running kind of wide receivers out there. He's just got one route, and that's a nine, uh, a go route. So Robert Tanyan only three catches for 25 yards in this game. And I don't see any other tight ends really getting involved in this game. Where Who is your wide receiver three or wide receiver two these days without Lazard? And, and how are you going to get more guys involved? It's funny that you mentioned that game because before the game, the Packers bumped up e, uh, EQ. His, uh, I believe how you pronounce his first name is Equanimous and last name St. Brown, who, who was on injured reserve for the, the whole first half of the season. And they bring him in. And I'm like, all right, let's go. This guy was huge his rookie year. He missed his second year due to, a, I think it was a knee injury or an ankle injury the whole season. Third year, I'm like, all right, I'm excited to see what he's got. I'm, maybe he'll bring a little bit of juice to this offense. And I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers was 0 for 3 when targeting him. So that didn't pan out as planned. Other than that, Robert Tanyan actually tweaked his ankle halfway through this game. I think that that hindered his performance. He didn't look really look too sharp but uh yeah and uh there's one play where it was after after the bucks went up i believe it was 14 to 10 and mercedes lewis was streaking down the middle of the field wide open and aaron Rodgers just missed him by a hair or two and that that could have been that could have been the save the saving play of the day but because aaron Rodgers was pressured and had to Force it, force it to him. He wasn't able to throw an accurate pass, and that was just the downfall for the week. Yeah, Mercedes Lewis after that play, uh, that was probably the point where I was just like really mad at Troy Aikman for making a point about Aaron Rodgers uh, missing that throw. I don't know if you watched that when Troy Aikman just started like getting into Aaron Rodgers for missing that throw. I'm like, Troy Aikman, you got to stop, man. <laughs> that broadcast is so – Awful to listen to. Uh, Mitchell. 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 Um, anyways. Mitchell. <laughs> anyways, uh, let's go to – yeah, I wanted to mention injuries in this game. Uh, Robert Tanyan, you said tweaked an ankle. I don't know if Aaron Jones got hurt or if they just aborted the run game really prematurely. Um, and then you have David Bakhtiari, who hasn't missed – he's missed only a handful of games in his eight-year career. He went down with a chest injury. Uh, and his status is questionable for this Sunday against Houston. I think that is really what changed the game, was once David Bakhtiari goes down, you send the house on this team, and you have poor um, – I don't even know who the guy who replaced him was, but whoever he was was not expecting. was not – was did not fill Rick Wagner. Nicely. Yeah, Rick Wagner. He did not sub in nicely, and I mean – Neither did guards. Uh, guards didn't really pass block well in this game either. Um, I don't think anybody really pass blocked all too well in this game. Uh, and that's just a product of having such a good run defense. When your run defense is working and you know the pass is coming, uh, it's a lot easier to get at them. 
So let's let's keep going through the notes here. Let's go to that defense. We spent a lot of time talking on how the offense just, you know, laid a, laid a dookie. But let's go to the defense now. This defense doesn't look as great as I thought it did uh, before this game. But it's hard to it's hard to say 38 points was a uh, was all on the defense. You had a pick six. You had a pick that resulted in a return to the two yard line. So 38. Let's say it was more like 24. Let's say the defense gave up really just 24, which isn't that bad. But what does concern me about this defense in this game was how pretty Tom Brady's jersey looked after the game. He didn't get sacked once. Zedarius Smith, when Khalil Mack went up against Tristan Wirfs last week, he owned Tristan Wirfs. Zedarius Smith doesn't show that same uh, that same performance. And Chris Barnes is younger than me, starting at middle linebacker now. What's going on with your defense? Tell me about why they struggled so much in this game. There's a few things, Gabe. When you say that Darius Smith didn't have much of an impact, say pass rushing, that's because they have Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith on the outside, and Zedarius is always trying to rush, at least for this game, it seemed like Zedarius was rushing straight into the middle onto the center and guards, and he did not have an impact at all. As for Rashawn Gary, Rashawn Gary had a few pressures, but uh, Preston Smith has really been struggling this year. Sorry to interrupt. Rashawn Gary also had a big face mask call coming off the edge on Tom Brady. And that's one of the few pressures that I'm like, that I'm counting. I mean, he got right up in the face of Tom Brady, accidentally grabbed his face mask, 15 yards added to the play, whatever. Game's already over. But Preston Smith has really been struggling this year. I I believe he's one of the lowest on the team with with a with a pass for I forget the word, but uh, rushes basically. He's not getting he's not getting a lot of uh, a lot of rushes to the quarterback. He's not really getting away from his blockers. And as for the secondary, Kevin King was injured this game. He had a quad injury and Josh Jackson replaced him. And Josh Jackson just got burned on a couple huge plays that one ended up being a touchdown and the other ended up being a pass interference on the one yard line that resulted in to the play going to the one yard line. So it was just, it was just a wreck. Jair Alexander, one of the, one of the strong points of this defense held Mike Evans to zero catches when guarded him. I'm pretty sure he guarded him 19 times during the course of the game. So that's a plus. Jair Alexander still looking good. But yeah, other than that, it was a, a complete disaster. Yes. Um, defensively, they had, you mentioned Josh Jackson. He only played three snaps coming into the game. And that's a concern, you know, when you have such an inexperienced corner going against Godwin, Mike Evans, and even Tyler Johnson, a Minnesota uh, grad who's a rookie. He looks, he has looked really good thus far this year. And Rob Gronk had their best receiving day out of all of them. Uh, and that was kind of a shock. But right now there's nobody, um, their outsides are good. They're good on the perimeter with Jair Alexander. They're good on the perimeter with their defensive ends, but it's really what's the problem is in the middle. And Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn in this game found so much success going up the middle. I think it's 15 carries for 105 yards total, or 15 carries for 85 yards and uh, two touchdowns in this game up the middle uh, in between the tackles. So that's that's a concern for me is is giving up these holes in the middle for Green Bay. 
Yeah, I mean, Christian Kirksley has been out a couple weeks now with a shoulder injury. And uh, I believe they're going to get back their uh, rookie, Kamal Martin, who is a Minnesota grad and uh, hasn't played yet due to a, I think it was a, I think it might have been a shoulder injury. Yeah, but uh, he's going to be acted off the IR, at least if not this week, then next week. And he's going to be a uh, huge asset for this defense, I feel like. There was a lot of buzz of him during training camp. And uh, I'm really excited to see if he could step in and basically just fill the gaps to help this running defense. Yeah, and we have a comment from Tom Scavetta. Heard Rogers was looking forward to meeting Sue Hello? off the field after the game. Um, don't want to even there? see that fight. I, I have a, a highlight I want to show in a little bit about it's a, it's an actual fight between a, a, a Jaguar and a Lion uh, before I preview before I show the highlights of the Jaguars Lion game and I think Indomitian Sue would be the Lion and um, and I think Aaron Rodgers would be the Jaguar spoiler alert the the Lion wins that fight um, anyways moving on um, let's look at the Packers as I go through my notes. There, Kenny Clark, I, I don't know if we mentioned Kenny Clark. He came back this game, and he played a lot of snaps. He had only played 15 snaps prior to this game. What does Kenny Clark coming back mean for your defensive line? It helps a lot, I'm sure. Sorry, can't, am I lagging or are you lagging? I can't hear you right now. Hmm. Kevin, can you hear me? Sorry, I can't hear you. I don't know if you're talking. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I will move on, and hopefully you hear me at some point. I don't know if I'm frozen. Oh, and there goes Kevin. All right, not a big deal. We'll have him back on um, in a little bit. Honestly, I was really just wrapping up my my Packers segment anyways, um, as he, I believe, is joining the stream again. And I apologize. Uh, I sh- I cut my lip while I was shaving earlier, and it's still. I got to get some credit for this show. I, it is still bleeding, and I've been working on that wound the entire time. As Kevin joins the stream again, I was just telling the viewers, Kevin, how I have had a bloody lip this entire show, and I've been trying to subtly wipe it away. I cut it prior to the show while shaving, and it has not stopped bleeding. I just wanted to put that out for anybody who's going to be listening to this on in a podcast form after the show uh i want them to know the amount of pain and suffering that i've had to go through putting this show together you need help (laughs) so kevin i really i wanted to wrap it up anyways um i think i think we kind of had a good discussion tonight that the packers they they had an uncharacteristic game the bucks they met them where they were weakest and they they exploited it I think we have to we have to wait and see are either of these teams as for real as you know as they look. Um, but I think the Packers ultimately will will come out of this uh, better than the Bucks in the future. I just wanted to ask you uh, your predictions for this this weekend's game against Houston. Uh, honestly, I haven't seen anything from Houston that really that really surprises me. Obviously, Deshaun Watson is one of the premier QBs or up-and-coming QBs in this league. So just contain Deshaun Watson, and it should be an easy road win. 
the Houston's playing better. And without David Bakhtiari, I think J.J. Watt's going to get a little bit of success. But J.J. Watt's not the menace that he used to be. And this secondary, man, that tex- that Texan secondary is not only is the, are they really bad at covering guys, they are one of the worst tackling secondaries. So you guys are going to have a lot of great stuff after the catch. Um, and I expect just Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, you guys can sit on the rock for a long amount of time in this game and, and you'll win just fine. Um, just wanted to say, just wanted to add one more thing. Kevin is 0 for 4 in his parlays this year, and he's looking to go 0 and 5 this week. Uh, what's your parlay this week, Kevin? My parlay this week is 5 and 1 in fantasy. I am the king of the cream of the crop. I cannot be stopped. I will not be tamed. No matter how many times the haters tell me that my team is bad, I drafted George Kittle in the first round. Why would I do that? Because George Kittle is a king. And he is my favorite player in the NFL for fantasy-wise. And I will not lose another game in fantasy. Goodbye, Gabe. All right, Kevin, peace out. Uh, I would love to have him back on the show and prove him wrong in the future. It's coming on 7 o'clock right now, and that means it is time to move on to the the Bears and Lions game, uh, or the Bears and Panthers game. I... I'll probably go for another 15, 20 minutes and wrap up those two games. Um, I will. I just wanted to show one, uh, one picture. I wish Kevin was still here to show it, but we got a great picture. Tom Brady, who still hasn't admitted he lost track of the downs against the Bears, is already yelling at his teammates as they trail 10-0. What happened to this guy? And that is a post by Freezing Cold Takes, one of my favorite accounts that I follow. And that that post really summed up that game. And Tom Brady is back, man. That was an awesome game by Brady. Uh, and I don't think he's getting enough credit right now at all. So let's go on to the Detroit. Uh, let's go to the Detroit and Jacksonville uh, highlights. And then I will talk about that game for just a little bit. And that was some awesome highlights from Detroit um, as I go into my segment on the Lions. Um, now, the Lions, they improved to two and three, which is which is actually not worse than the division. Uh, Minnesota takes the cake on that one. Um, they're still in contention for a wild card. Do not count the Lions out. If they get a win this week, uh, they are still in contention for sure. Uh, Matt Stafford has now finally thrown a touchdown against every team in the NFL after throwing one against the Jaguars. He did not throw one um, 
versus the Jaguars in his career was the last team that he needed to complete the 32-team cycle. Um, Congrats to Matt Stafford. Uh, I actually think the Jaguars was the last team I would think he wouldn't have a touchdown against, but he got it. Uh, DeAndre Swift in this one was awesome. Uh, His fantasy performance was great for me. 27 points. That was really, really nice. Uh, And he was a last-minute waiver wire pickup. And it's clear to me now with the 14-carry, 116-yard game with two touchdowns that DeAndre Swift has found his home at the RB1 slot in Detroit. Uh, It was Adrian Peterson on and off. It was Kerryon Johnson on and off. And now we can say for sure this is DeAndre Swift's job to lose. The versatility, the speed, the power. I mean, watch some highlights of this guy in this game. He was strong and fast. Uh, it's it's really, really nice to see a, a running back in Detroit. Detroit's got 117 rush yards a game this year. That's good for 15th in the NFL. And 15th in the NFL, if you guys don't know, I had a graphic on here a couple, year, uh, couple weeks ago, and it was of the last 10, um, excuse me, as I wiped the blood off my lip that I cut, cut my lip while I was shaving earlier. Um I just wanted to to tell you guys how the Lions rushing game over the last 10 years had been so bad. They were in the, the, the low 20s, the high 20s, and they were bottom shelf running team. They would hardly scrape 90 yards a game uh, per game for every season in the last decade, going back to, you know, Joyke Bell and Reggie Bush and Amir Abdullah. We're talking names that are really extinct now in the NFL. And Javid Best, another bust. A lot of busts at the running back position. I think finally with their second round, they used that pick so, so well. Good for Detroit. Good on their GM for putting together a running back now. A running back trio that is actually really, really a, a handful to guard. Um, And it really, it's all capable. It's all... Uh, it's all happening because you have one of the best offensive lines in football right now at rushing, uh, at run blocking. I mean, you have Frank Ragno, the number two ranked PFF center at a minute. He was, he's actually originally from Minnesota with his, his name Ragno. Sounds a lot like Ragnarok. And he, he looks like it with his beard. He's a beast. And then on the outsides, you have two really good tackles with Taylor Decker, um, and then Vitai on the other side, who they moved into guard. Um, and then Tyrell Robinson, I believe, is the other tackle who's been good in the run game. Um, and then or, and then you have uh, at the other guard, Joe Dahl. And it's, it's really a really good run-blocking offense right now. As we have a comment from Izzy Nelson, a lot of busts, but then there's James Robinson. Uh, that is a very good point. James Robinson. Not a bust. Uh, he 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 has been really good this year for the the Jags. Uh, thank you for the comment, Izzy. I I wanted to see more James Robinson in this game. If you're Jacksonville, twelve carries, twenty nine yards. That's not cutting it. Credit to Detroit for stopping the run. That was something they had not done well at all this year, uh, and they finally have done it. And it couldn't have come at a better time. Not only did they stop the run. 
But Detroit did an amazing job getting pressure on Gardner Minshew this week. Jamie Collins had a sack. Trey Flowers had a strip sack. And Jamie Collins also added an interception along with Deron Harmon's pick too. Um, this, this defense is getting after it. And I think we're seeing this, And as Tom comments, did Matt Patricia save his job for now? 100% after seeing this performance, you saw a different, more motivated Matt Patricia he was way more aggressive. Before this game, the Lions were one of the lowest blitzing teams in the NFL. And this game, they showed pressure. They blitzed. Uh, and that added pressure made Gardner Minshew make mistakes. Uh, if I find Gardner Minshew's uh, stats in this game, it was really, you could tell, this was a product of him having no time to throw the ball. If you look here, 25 for 44 for 243 yards, uh, that's really poor percentage. And then two for seven, 86 yards, and an interception with passes over 20 yards. So he wasn't able to get anything over 20 yards. And you can credit that to pressure. You can credit that to Deron Harmon in the back end. Uh, and he's one of the best safeties in the league right now. PFF says so as well. I think he's rated number two safety in PFF. Um I just think this was the best pass rushing game for Matt Patricia this year. And that is what a 3-4 defense totally relies on is getting great edge guys. The Lions, they signed these two edge guys, Trey Flowers and Jamie Collins. They're kind of old. They're 30 years each. And they're highly paid. I mean, they gave these guys a lot of money in the latter part of their careers. And up until this point, these guys were not making their dough. But they finally earned it this week. And uh, they got a much-needed win. Uh, continuing, let's talk about the Lions' ability to um, guard uh, opponent opposing tight ends. I think that's a big thing. Tyler Eifert didn't register a single fantasy point in this game. I picked him up coming into this game thinking he'd have a really nice game. Um, and the Lions have been one of the best teams against opposing tight ends this year. I think that'll come in really handy uh, when they play. Minnesota when they play Chicago, Jimmy Graham, uh, Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph in Minnesota. And then when they face off against the Packers again, uh, going up against Robert Tanyan, who wasn't really a factor um, when they first met a few weeks ago. But that is really where it ends in Detroit when we talk about the positives on this team. Uh, I could go on and on about the, the really bad in Detroit. There's a lot of bad statistics that I could point out, and I've and I have them right here. Um, their pass rush on the season is still not where you want it to be. They're second to last in sacks with six, but I'll give them a break this week considering they got two Gardner Minshew. But they the the Jaguars' offensive line, I mean, they're not the greatest offensive line, especially protecting the passer. So don't give the Lions too much credit. Uh, we have to see this come against a better offensive line. They are um, allowing the second highest, or actually they're the second best in yards after catch allowed, which I think is is a great aspect of this defense, is their ability to keep things in front of them. But I've mentioned on this show a lot that this Lions team plays a brand of football that is super conservative. And um, that conservative brand of football is is cushion coverage and giving up a lot, not a lot of yards after catch. 
isn't really saying much considering they give up a lot of yards in the air. Um, and that is what I meant, uh, meant to add was fifth worst in target air yards allowed at 9.6, fifth worst in the NFL. So they're giving up a lot in the air. They're not letting up a lot after the catch. So you give, you take. Detroit wins in week one if Swift catches that pass. You're totally right, Izzy. That is, is, that is a very good point. Uh, I think DeAndre Swift is finally showing people that he's better than that. Uh, he, he's redeeming himself. So I give DeAndre Swift a ton of credit. Uh, it sucked that he dropped that pass. That really stung. But it's really nice to see him rebound and now create that role for himself in Detroit. I think Detroit, either way, um, they're going to have to win a lot of games to, to make the playoffs this year. I don't know if that game is going to be the make or break reason why they don't make the playoffs. However, that game going winning and going one and zero could have completely changed the course of not only the Lions' season, but that could have changed the course of how the Bears' season went too. Uh, the Bears went into you know Chicago after that game on, uh, off the bus, and they were they were hooping and hollering, they were excited, and that really spurred their really good start to the season. So I do think that was a really influential drop for both parties. Uh, seventh worst third down defense in the NFL. Now, third down has not been the been the Lions' forte, and that's because of how bad their pass rush has been. They're allowing forty eight percent conversion rate. Uh, their defense is still really bad. So let's take this game with a grain of salt. Thirty four to um, sixteen. I think I predicted on the show last week the Jaguars would win thirty two to thirty one. That didn't happen. That was way off. Uh, and I. Um, I was uh, pretty pretty disappointed with all of my predictions after this week. The only one that was actually really close was the Chicago Carolina Panthers prediction. And uh, as I have a couple more comments uh, here, let's go to Mike Cassidy's comment. Uh, thank you for watching the show, Mike. And do you think Aaron Rodgers' GOAT status has been tampered after this week's loss to Tom Brady's Bucks? Thank you for chiming in with that comment, Mike. Sorry for the phone ring. Um, I don't think his GOAT status has been tampered, and I'll tell you why. Because even though he lost the game, he still did this. And if you ask me, that right there just confirmed that he was still the GOAT. Uh, I think Tom Brady could for once. You know, he I, I don't give – Tom Brady was the GOAT. He's not the GOAT anymore. I can name seven quarterbacks that are better than him right now. Uh, talent wise, I just think, I think Russell Wilson, you could say is right there with Aaron Rodgers. Give it a couple more weeks. I think we'll watch Houston. I want to see Russell Wilson win in blowout fashion. I don't want to see these come from behind wins every week against teams like Minnesota. Uh, I still think he's, he's, I mean, he's a top two quarterback in the NFL, but I want to see more convincing wins. I think Aaron Rodgers is still the GOAT. And I just wanted to move on to, um, uh, the <laughs> nobody thinks Rodgers is the goat. I I do is he think Rodgers is is the best quarterback in the game right now. Um, when you see who he had over the last five games, and then you see who Russell Wilson had. Aaron Rodgers was throwing to to really nobody, and it's funny when Devonta Adams comes back, they're still not not really a big threat. But I I just think if we look at Aaron Rodgers' performance this year with who he had, he, creating a, a, a really a star player in Alan Lazard. And 
creating and just creating opportunity for everybody and the diversity in which he throws to. Uh, with Russell Wilson, everything comes off the deep ball. It's big plays to DK Metcalf. I don't think anybody throws a better deep ball besides Mahomes and Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers is way up there, but he did miss a throw to Mercedes Lewis. I just think Mar- uh, Aaron Rodgers has the entire football package. Uh, I do think you could make an easy, you could easily make an argument for Russell Wilson too and Mahomes. But uh, I like to think Aaron Rodgers is the goat, and if he keeps this performance, if you take out the Bucks game and you and you have consistent performances from him like we've seen this year, I think he would make a very good argument for MVP. Now let's move on to the Bears and Panthers game. Uh, I will talk about that in just a second. As Bridgewater could not find anyone, and he is taken down. The sack first allowed by Carolina in their last three games. Pass deflected and then picked off. Golden goal from the nine. Foles looking to the end zone. He throws, and the catch is made for a touchdown by the rookie out of Notre Dame. And welcome back to the show. Yeah, I think um, Chicago is is a little overrated. I'll be honest. Um, I just want to go over um, a couple facts with you. The the Bears just finally scored their first points in the third quarter, and it is we- it was just week six. They scored the first time in the third quarter. Um, and we look at you know their their offensive statistics over the last six weeks. Uh, and they had 261 yards of total offense this past week in a win. They had 243 yards of total offense against the Bucks last Thursday night in a win. Uh, and then they had 269 yards of total offense versus Indy and just over 300 yards, 304 in a win versus the Giants. So, Offensively, these guys aren't lighting anything on fire. They're not doing anything pretty. It's it's really a, the kind of team that it's like watching paint dry. Uh, their drives are incredibly boring. Big plays do not come in this offense, and they don't they don't have guys that are capable of really big plays. Aside from Cordero Patterson, who will have a big kickoff return once in a while, uh, and uh, six lowest in yards per play. In, in the NFL right now at just 4.8 yards per play. Uh, Nick Foles is is pretty much not not really exceeding what Mitch Trubisky did. Uh, Nick Foles in this game, he just had under 200 yards passing, um, 23 for 39, 198 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And he started the game at 11 for 12. So completely fell apart in this one. And it, they're really, really lucky that their defense bailed them out in this one. And that's been the story of this Bears defense all year is their defense really bailing out their offense. Um, Tom Scavetta with the comment, Bears could realistically be 6-1 and one this week. 
Rams are four and two, but all four wins versus the NFC East. Neither team is proven. And Tom, I will I will preview that game uh, after I kind of recap the the Bears season thus far. I definitely definitely think the Bears have a good chance to win because you you can't count the Bears out of any game when you have a defense this good that can make any any quarterback uncomfortable. Give me the Bears against any team right now, and their defense will will come to play. So I don't think we can count the Bears out just because of their defense. Uh, and then <laughs> Jason Glickman with a comment. I can't believe Andy Dalton is the best quarterback in the NFC East. Thank you for the comment, Jason. And um, I got a good chuckle out of that. It's funny to, to, to think about that, but you're not necessarily wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, as Tom and Jason go at it in the comment section, let's talk more Bears. They're, they're a highly penalized team. They're, they're the second highest penalized team in the NFL at 45 penalties this year. And um, their offense, I mean, I could talk about it all day, the, the problems with it. They don't run the ball particularly well, even though they have such a good running back. And David Montgomery, uh, their offensive line is struggling. And I, I hate to mention Drew Samia. I would never want to bring his name up again on this broadcast. But I saw some Drew Samia action going on at left guard in this game uh, with with Rashad Coward, uh, their new left guard, subbing in for James Daniels, who went down with, I think, an arm injury in uh, the last week. And this guy, I mean, he was pretty bad in the run game. You, I was, If you want to go online and type him up, he was pulling and he was not finding anybody. Or if he was, he was doubling a guy that wasn't supposed to be doubled, leaving the linebacker dead square in the hole where David Montgomery really just couldn't do anything. And David Montgomery, I give him a lot of credit. He's, he's a really good running back and excellent after contact. I mean, the guy breaks tackles pretty frequently, but when you got nothing going on in the holes, when you have no holes and you got nowhere to run, and I've seen this a lot with David Montgomery, he's out there running for his life sometimes, just trying to make something out of nothing. And that's what this kind of game was in the run game, 19 carries for 58 yards. The, the Bears only have two rushing touchdowns on the year. That's the worst in the NFL right now. And their their interior offensive line is is just shot. Uh, Cody Whitehair had a 26.2 PFF run blocking grade in this game. And then at right guard, you have um, Jermaine Fady, who is still uh, uh, just a young guy who's not polished all too well. So I, I do think David Montgomery could use some more help in that offensive line. And I think the Bears, really, it's disappointing that the Bears couldn't develop a better run game in this one against a team in Carolina that is dead last in stopping the run in the NFL. Would have liked to see uh, uh, maybe you know a 100-yard rushing game in this one, especially when Nick Foles is, is basically throwing 500 out there. So I'm, I'm disappointed in their offense. I thought you could have got Cordero Patterson involved more in this one. Uh, Cordero won uh, in this game. He had one attempt for one yard. He had one catch in this game. And this is a guy that gets a lot more touches on the offense in space, and they didn't take advantage of his of his labor in this one. And um, I was just – I think David Montgomery is awesome, but 85% of the snaps uh, I think is excessive, for especially for a guy who gives it 
100% every time he's running the ball. I think they could have given him some relief. And I think that injury to Tariq Cohen is 100% affecting this offense in the way they, they are functioning right now. I think Tariq Cohen's you know, injury, making David Montgomery play more, is is hurting the offense. It, it loses that valuable weapon on third down that they really have been benefiting from in uh, recent years. Uh, some more interesting stuff in this game. Let's talk about the, the Bears' starting field position this year. Um, I just wanted to point this out. The Bears have – the fourth best starting field position in the NFL at 31.8 at the 31.8 yard line, their own. Uh, and that's pretty good starting field position yet. They're, they're scoring the ball quite uh, not often. The lions actually have more points scored in five games than the bears do in six games. So I think the bears offense should be scoring more points right now and they should be getting bailed out by their defense Every single uh, every single game, it seems like their defense just wins it. And let's give a shout-out to some guys on this defense. I mean, I, I can't complain. I, I'm jealous almost that the Bears have this kind of situation because I know a team not long ago in Minnesota that was really similar to this Bears team where if, if Kirk Cousins wasn't getting it done on offense and Dalvin Cook wasn't getting it done, that defense was making plays, turning the ball over, and giving life. It's like CPR. It's resuscitating your offense when your defense comes up with big plays. And two turnovers in this game was just that. I should say three turnovers in this game for Carolina. And that'll give your offense some life and some energy. Uh, Roquan Smith, I gave him a lot of flack last week. Um, I, I, I kind of, uh, I, when I had Andy Hopper on the show, and I showed you guys how many missed tackles Roquan Smith had against Ronald Jones Jr. and the Bucks. Um, Roquan Smith bounced back. He had the best game of his season. Um, 12 tackles, 83 PFF grade, and uh, he is back. And I think Eddie Jackson is, is showing people and any critics that Eddie Jackson is still the best safety in the, in the NFL. And his contract, the highest paid safety in the NFL, is still worth it. Eddie Jackson finished with an 80 PFF grade and he finished with a, um, I believe it was, it was a forced fumble and that that's a big momentum shifter, especially in a game where your offense just isn't getting it done. Um, I wanted to mention, I wanted to go into the bears, uh, into Robert Quinn. Now, Robert Quinn is, is their, their second, best pass rusher on this team and he has been non-existent this week i wanted to do a naughty list this week but after the way the show went and my my lip not stopping bleeding because i cut it from shaving earlier i just didn't want to put that beard on and get it all red and gross so i didn't get to a naughty list but i did want to mention that one of the guys on my naughty list was Robert Quinn from the Chicago Bears uh, at five years, $5 million contract this offseason on his fourth NFL team. You would have thought Robert Quinn would have seen would have seen a lot more success uh, this season. He's played five games. He missed the first one because he was hurt, and he has had three tackles combined this year, just three tackles, 
he hasn't strung together a group of games where he's played a significant amount. He's, if you want to see his snaps, uh, I mean, the most snaps he played in a game was against the Bucks last week. He had 58% of the defensive snaps. And this past week, he went back down to 44%. Robert Quinn is hovering around the low 40% uh, percent in snaps per game. And I don't see how you can pay a guy millions, uh, tens of millions of dollars in a long-term deal, and you're not going to play him a majority of the game. Right now, Barkevius Mingo is splitting splitting snaps with him and making a fraction of what he's making. As we have a comment from Izzy Nelson, what about Buda Baker, best safety? I'll be honest with you, Izzy. I don't really – if I were, if it were up to me, I would tell you Harrison Smith is the best safety in the NFL. But I don't, I don't pay enough attention to Buda Baker and what's going on in Arizona. If I did, I would probably be able to make a better judgment on that. Um, I think Buda Baker actually – just got the highest paid contract, if I'm not mistaken. So I could have misspoke when I said Eddie Jackson had the highest contract. He was the highest paid. <clears throat> but I would argue um, that Eddie Jackson probably is not the best right now. Uh, and that's how the NFL works. You get paid, and then you're not worth what you just got paid a year later, like a like a car coming off the lot. And Tom says, yes, Baker is now. Uh, thank you for clarifying that, Tom. Um. Man, this this lip, I got to say, is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. It has been right now an hour and 45 minutes that it has continued to bleed. For, and it's fascinating. I, if, it's just fascinating. Um, let's go. Let's move on, though. I wanted to mention uh, Danny Trevathan, uh, Bears linebacker. Now, the Bears just came to my attention right before the show. Tom messaged me and told me that uh, Manti Teo – excuse me, just got signed by the Bears. And that, that did make sense because I was going to say, uh, Danny Trevathan hasn't been really making ends meet in, in Chicago this year. But this past two weeks, I will say Danny Trevathan has has re- bounced back. He's redeemed himself a bit. Uh, last week, he had a team high, 12 tackles. Uh, Andy Hopper came on the show and talked about how Danny Trevathan looked a lot better than he had beginning uh, the season. And this past week, Danny Trevathan with a season high, uh, or not with a season high, with a with ten tackles. So I think Danny Trevathan is is on the up and up, and I think Manti Teo will will be a great rotational add for them. Maybe a special teams guy, but Manti Teo he's got to have he's got to have some juice left in him. He was a really good linebacker in college at Notre Dame. Um, I don't know how he's going to fit into the scheme. Uh, he's definitely going to make a lot of tackles. And I think that's what they expect from their linebackers uh, is just being tacklers. I don't, Roquan Smith can handle man-to-man coverage actually pretty well uh, in this game. He allowed just four catches for eight uh, yards to opposing running backs and receivers. So I do think that Manti Teo, if you give him just a small workload of just making tackles, uh, I think Manti Teo could fit into this defense pretty nicely because you do have Akeem Hicks, you do have Bilal Nichols. You have guys in this interior defensive line that really make your linebacker's job quite easy. If you watch that Bucks game, Roquan Smith had nice holes to make tackles. Um, I don't think Manti Teo will, will have a hard time sh- adjusting. <laughs> Mike, that, that, was, that was a funny one. You're going to make me cough. <clears throat> Hopefully you can get over his ex-girlfriend's death. Yeah, that one. That one. Me too, Mike. Me too. Um I, I, I'm glad somebody remembered that. 
And uh, hopefully he's not – it's interesting that Chicago would make a move like that at a time really where things are going really well. You thought locker room drama kind of disappeared in Chicago for a little bit after Nick Foles kind of uh, confirmed that he's the right guy for the job. And now you might be stirring up some more locker room drama now that you have Manti Teo and his uh, ex-girlfriend in the mix. Um, but yeah, let's let's get on to the Bears-Rams preview for this upcoming Sunday. Um, quite possibly the best game of the week, uh, in my opinion. It's kind of a game where if the winner of this game couldn't possibly be your NFC um, championship finalist. I won't go as far to say the winner of this game will go all the way to the Super Bowl, but I could definitely say with confidence that the winner of this is pretty much um, set to make the playoffs and for sure. And I think they definitely have a good chance to go to the NFC championship. I think the Rams defense with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and uh, Kaiser, I think it's a really good defense right now. And Jimmy G kind of, he, he had his way with them. And I just don't know if the Rams came out flat in that one. But I don't think the Bears will have the same success that Jimmy G had against that defense. I think Nick Foles is going to struggle in this one. I mean, uh, if I go back to Tom's comment, <clears throat> Bears realistically could be 6-1 and one this week. I think it's, it is realistic. But if I were to say right now who would win that game, I would go with L.A. for the reason that I don't think Nick Foles can will, can, um, will this team to a victory himself. And I think in a game where the Rams are going to get points, it's a given that, that they're going to get 20 to 24 points in this one. The Rams score points against almost everybody except, weirdly, the Giants they didn't score. But neither did the Bears. So, so it's interesting. I just think if we look at this game and we look at the offenses, the Rams have the better offense. And... Allen Robinson, you take Allen Robinson out of the game in Chicago, who does Nick Foles have to throw to? Uh, Jimmy Graham, Darnell Mooney, not really guys that you that are your main options. So I think Jalen Ramsey uh, will take Allen Robinson out of the game a fair amount. He'll probably have a game like he just did this past week where Allen Robinson was quiet, five catches, 53 yards, and – I think the, the, the Bears will struggle and it will get ugly for them. And I think finally we'll see the, uh, the trash behind the curtain in Chicago. I think it's not as pretty as, as people think it is. And, and nobody's saying it's pretty, but I, I just think it's going to be clear after this week that it's not all smooth sailing in Chicago right now. Um, hate to be so pessimistic, but I mean, I'm, I'm a big sports better. I'm a big – I listen to Vegas. I think they're right – a lot and uh Vegas thinks like me too. Uh Vegas opens up the the line this week Bears plus 6 versus LA. The Bears have now been the underdogs in every game this year except the Giants week 2. So the Bears like to be underdogs. They they love that mentality. I think keep putting the Bears at the underdog spot and they'll they'll, they'll try really hard to keep proving the critics wrong. But We'll see, and I think this week in the NFC um, will be a very interesting week. The, the Vikings are off this week. You got the Bears. 
Lions and Packers. I'm really excited to to get back uh, to talking about the you know the Packers again next week. Coming off, they'll probably bounce back. Uh, I'll look into guests for next week, but that should do it for this week's show. Um, and yes, I will be on Tom's show tomorrow. Review and preview. Tune into that at 8:30. I'll be on. And uh, that will do it for tonight's show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with me. And uh, that is an empty box of tissues right there that I went through during the show to clean my bloody lips. So thank you for bearing with me for that, guys. And have a great night. I'll see you next week.